Welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast. Today, I'm speaking with Physical Performance Manager at the Parramatta Eels in the NRL, Paul Devlin. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by Valve Performance, the team behind the Nordboard hamstring testing system. So the Nordboard is the fastest and easiest and most accurate way to measure hamstring strength in under 90 seconds. So the Nordboard gives the right information so you can make the right decisions for your players at the right time. So it's already in use by over half the Premier League uh, and dozens of other elite teams around the world. Uh, so the Nordboard testing system is the is on its way to becoming the gold standard for measuring and monitoring hamstring strength. So if you are interested in getting to know anything more about the Nordboard, you can visit Vald Performance, that's V-A-L-D performance.com to find out more. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by Train With Push, creators of the Push Band. So the Push Band is the first scientifically validated uh, wearable device to provide Objective insights into your performance in the gym. So using accelerometers and a gyroscope, the push band is able to use bar speed to regulate load and volume based on your ability in the gym on any given day. So you can use the push band to quickly establish uh, 1RMs with some maximal loads so you can plan with confidence. So the push band portal also allows you to create programs before entering the gym. Uh, to make change on the fly depending on how you are performing on that given day. So you can customize everything from target velocity ranges to differentiating velocities for warm-up and creating working sets and supersets uh, for yourself or your athletes. So if you do want to know more about Train With Push and the Push Band, get yourself over to trainwithpush.com. They also have got a great blog, so you can catch up with some guest bloggers such as Mladen Ivanovic and Dan Baker. So be sure to check them out at trainwithpush.com. Thanks for tuning in to episode 80 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. So we're going to keep this intro nice and short, uh, but we've got ex-professional rude player uh, and current performance, uh, physical performance manager at the Parramatta Eels, Paul Devlin. So Paul's a... Um, an English guy working in the NRL, one of uh, only a few I'm led to believe. Uh, and we chat uh, all things pre-season, um, given the, the nature of uh, the NRL at the minute, obviously just coming off the back of uh, the pre-season into the, into the, uh, into the season itself. Um, we also discuss a really interesting topic that I've kind of touched on um, in the, another couple of episodes which are coming up, uh, and that's keeping players interested. Um, which I think is a really interesting topic uh, and one that Paul gives a really interesting insight into. So I hope you enjoy episode 80 with Paul. Uh, again, appreciate any feedback uh, and Paul uh, would appreciate that uh, as well. So enjoy episode 80 and I'll speak to you soon. Okay, thanks for tuning in to the Pace Performance Podcast. So today we've got Paul Devlin. Um, so welcome to the podcast, Paul. Thanks very much, mate. I appreciate you having me on. It's good to uh, it's good to hear an English voice um, in the Australian NRL. So, uh, do you want to give do you want to give us a little bit of an information on your your background and and your, your current role and what you're doing? 
Yeah, so my current role, I'm at Power Materials. Um, I'm the physical performance manager here. So essentially that encapsulates looking after the, uh, the physio department, the strength and conditioning side and, and the sports science. Uh, pretty much means I get blamed for anything other than um, what the boys do technically on game day as well. Uh, I've been doing that for this my second year here. The year before that, I was at Melbourne Storm. Um, and that was just an absolutely fantastic experience. It's a, it's a brilliantly run organisation. Um, before that, I did two years at Hull FC in Super League in the UK. Uh, and then before that, I was at uh, Doncaster Knights. Uh, previous to that, it was, a, um, I suppose, a nomadic tour of Europe uh, in playing professional rugby league and rugby union since since the age of 18. So, um, yeah, pretty lots of different experiences throughout my playing career that have definitely helped mould the way I approach uh, high performance and athletic development. Um, and I really wouldn't have had it any other way. I've been I've been very lucky in my playing career and very lucky in my coaching career as well so far. Mm-hmm. So one thing that came up on on Twitter a couple of days ago was trying to get some uh, some athletes on to try to get their perspective on their kind of experiences of strength and conditioning, sports science, and the the kind of whole support team. But how did you? What was your experience of of strength and conditioning in your playing days? Positive? Was it something you took? Oh. Comment. Yeah, look, I, I had a real mixed bag. Okay. Right. I think, um, and that's, I'm only grading that based on my experiences now. And I suppose my beliefs, having educated myself on it, uh, both academically and empirically as well, I think what is what is good and bad, I suppose, it's making the most of your of your abilities and potential um, athletically. That's how we should be judging whether people are good or, or, or not so good at their, at their jobs. But I think... Starting out early, it was um, for me. I started Cell Sharks. I had, I had three years there, and um, I had a very good strength and conditioning coach early called Marty Hume. He's actually working over in, in Japan now. He's an Australian, and he was fantastic for me. Um, and, and he probably he probably sparked the desire to work in in physical performance at some point in my career because he was just so well planned and thought out that it really drove me um, for the rest of my career to be to be at least a diligent professional. Because he instilled that in me from a very early age, but but from a setup point of view, there was no academies back then. So it was really uh, when I signed my contract at 18, I signed a three-year contract and I was thrown in with the with the top squad to play professional rugby union. I was nowhere near big enough, nowhere near strong enough, nowhere near mature enough, um, and I had a well a pretty harsh first year really. And that they um, they taught me a few a few lessons that have been fantastic for me and. You know, keep your gob shut, know your place. It's a bit different to where it is today, but again, I wouldn't have had it any other way. Uh, I think certainly along my career, then I had a, a few years in Ireland with a really good strength and conditioning coach, Damien Mednes, who was who was very good for me. And then I went off to France, and um, it was very different in France. And I suppose looking back, I, I found that really, really difficult because again, at this point in my career, I was focusing everything on physical performance. I was very, very interested in it even though my goal was obviously to be playing lots of um, professional rugby. But uh, the approach in France was completely different to anything I've ever seen. And uh, it, it was all about kind of enjoyment. And they didn't particularly like training all that hard, although if you flick the switch, sometimes they did. And it was a very relaxed atmosphere off the field. Um, and I found that really hard to handle, having come from months that were, we've been European champions the year before. And you know, there was there was a team full of internationals there who were just incredibly tough trainers. Uh, it was a very professional setup at the time, and so I suppose the different exposures there, and then I dropped down to uh, second tier rugby then in in um, south southwest, I think it is, 
of, of the UK Cornish Pirates and had three great years down there learning about strength and conditioning. But dropping down a level, I found that I just got all this different exposure to totally different approaches and different approaches to treating injuries, rehabbing injuries, strength, conditioning, gyms with no facilities, like in France where we had, I think we had eight dumbbells and they were all different weights. So we didn't actually <laughs> have a pair of any. And this is a top 14. This was a top 14 French rugby club competing against Biritz, Toulouse, and we finished ninth. And I thought, how have we done this? How have we physically competed week in, week out when 50% of the squad never lift a weight? They've got no interest in weight training. But it was, ju- it was just a different approach. And I still don't agree with it today. But, you know, it works. And I can't hide from the fact that it worked for those blocks. And um, I suppose it, what I'm getting to is the whole wide range of experiences that, that I managed to get there probably gave me an outlook whereby... I remember John Goodwin saying to me at St. Mary's uh, College that getting a master's degree and making sure that you understand the theory behind things just gives you a good bullshit detector. And it just gives you the ability to be able to know when something stacks up and when it doesn't. And then one of my mentors, I suppose my main mentor, Calvin Giles, he's been phenomenally good for me. He's just the hugest influence on me. But one thing he always says is you need to be able to justify why you're doing what you're doing. And I think Looking back on my playing career, that's what that's what I learned from it, is that you need to be able to justify why you're doing it or at least have some sort of theoretical rationale for why you're doing things. But certainly I had, I had a mixed bag of experiences, but I wouldn't have had it any other way because I think you've got to get all those different experiences to, to shape your coaching philosophy. So one thing that you kind of touched on there a little bit that kind of takes me into the next um, little point that I wanted to raise was about keeping your boys interested. And this probably goes to, obviously, your current role and your, your previous roles. Um, I, I'd been to a professional football club, as we as we discussed earlier, and there was kind of the, all the pros walking in who didn't look particularly uh, interested in coming to training. And I just thought, I hope there's someone out on that pitch who's putting the cones out, who's thinking, I need to keep these boys interested because they're on so much money. They've won so many different trophies all over the world. I hope they're actually thinking about their kind of psychological state is that what do you do to to try to keep your your boys interested um throughout a long season yeah it's something that's not discussed and is just absolutely crucial all coaches talk about this between themselves and i think one thing i have noticed certainly being over in the nrl now in australia it's an incredibly competitive environment that's the first thing and i think when you've got really competitive clubs and training environments that are very competitive that tends to mean that the whole keeping them interested in doing something a little bit different is is less important or less frequent and certainly here at the eels at the moment we're really lucky that we've got very very good squad depth so our reserve grade are, are top of the ladder at the moment they're going great our under 20s they're top of the ladder as well and they're going great and the nrl team are, are, i suppose well fifth at the moment but joint top on points so when you've got that competitive environment it really drives your training and I think that's where you get the, the need for, for keeping players interested. Well, the number one most interesting thing is when they're trying to get their position in the team. That's the best way. And the best way, I suppose, fundamentally is making sure that the players underneath those top guys are fighting for the jersey as well. And then I suppose that's based on the standards and the culture of the club. And you can't change that very quickly. And culture's banded about all over the place. I know that. But I think culture for us is just about behaviours, behaviours that are accepted and behaviours that are that are um, enforced, really. And, and so we have a big thing on that. 
we have a big thing on accountability and by accountability, we try to give the players the information they need so they know what they need to work on. And again, that keeps them interested because at this level, at the real elite level, players want to be the best. There's always something to strive for. If you're a first grader who's playing regularly, then Origin. If you're an Australian, there's Origin. If you're not, there's international and there's international football as well that you can strive for. So I think making sure that they've got the information to know what they need to work on to be a better footballer on the field, because really that's all they generally care about. Injury prevention and playing better when they get to the weekend. So we need to arm them with the information on how what we do physically will enable them to perform better when they play. So it's accountability there and making sure that we hold them to those things that we want them to work on and improve. And then I suppose some things on the gym that we use that most coaches around the place probably use. <laughs> Sounds stupid. Maybe, maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. But, but music's a really big one in our gym. So we can change the mood of some of our players just by playing music that they like. And mm-hmm. not necessarily, well, it's almost never my choice. But uh, some of the things we have to listen to as coaches drives you crazy. But, <laughs> but it can genuinely change the mood of a player. And I'm talking day four, maybe a Thursday in, in pre-season week. And the players are absolutely exhausted. They've just come off a 7, 8, 9K field session where they've had the balls run off them. They're absolutely exhausted. They've had a break for lunch and probably made themselves feel even more tired by sitting around. Then they come into the gym and we start our mobility stuff and we try and get them moving so that we can have a good, strong gym session. And, uh, and we've just found that energy and passion from new coaches, they've got to really, really care about what they do. And sensible music choices can change the mood in the gym. And it's a really simple thing. Uh, and aside from that, then we use, we use gym aware. Uh, and we use, we've got push bands. Um, and we've got a force plate as well, which, which we use fairly frequently, as well as a good old stopwatch. And what we do by that is we just drive a competitive environment in the gym as much as we possibly can. And that can be millions of things. As you know, with the gym aware, it, it can be anything. I mean, we've even just invested in a Nord board in the last couple of months. And although we wouldn't use that all too often, uh, when we do use it, it's so competitive. They just want to win all the time at everything they do. Uh, the gym aware is fantastic for that, and the push band is the same. But the mid-thigh pull on our force plate has been really handy for us because it allows us to look at a maximal strength score, a max force, um, without too much fatigue afterwards, whereas with a max squat, it's a little bit more difficult. But some of the... Um, some of the display options on these sorts of uh, testing devices now, especially Jim Aware and the push band, they're really, really good when you get your iPad in there or get the leaderboard, the latest Jim Aware software we've, we've had up on our TV screens in the gym. Um, last week, actually, when we were, on a, we were on a fairly short turnaround and we wanted to make sure that we, we got some real good speed power movements in the gym. And it just turns the gym, makes the gym so competitive. Um, so we'll flick those sorts of things into the gym um, when we're trying to keep them interested in them. I suppose on the field side of it, it, again, this may sound super simple, but we're pretty simple here, is um, when we're doing our warm-ups, they need to be energy-based. You can't just do the same thing every day, but generally they need the same movements every day when we're on field. But we'll do simple things, and I'm sure all coaches do this as well, where we'll get the boys to jog around the field with us and we'll scream out a number, and they've got to get into that group. The last players left over, they have to do five push-ups doesn't really matter, or we'll get them to get into shapes, or we'll just do something a little bit fun, just to, to snap them into the right mindset. And then once you snap them into that mindset, these are competitive, hungry footballers who, who want to get picked in the team, and they know that the coaches are always watching. So sometimes I just think it's getting 
different things. It could be a joke. It could be something from from us, us from us as coaches to try and snap them into that energetic mindset. Um, so yeah, we we try to do that, and sometimes we'll change schedules as well. So we're, if we we have day names, so um, we have a relentless effort day, which is our three days out from a game, and the aim of that day is we want you to go from A to B as fast as you can, do everything at max effort. And um, effort's never compromised on that day. So you're three days out from a game. We're not overly worried about fatigue. We want to make sure you do everything as hard as you can. Um, and then two days out from a game, or the day before a game, sorry, is our uh, total preparation day. So that's the day when you finally hone all your skills. But before those three days, we don't mind chopping and changing the schedule a little bit. Again, to keep them interested, we might put something completely different in. We might go and do a pool-based session. Again, it's always based around trying to get them smiling and enjoying themselves and having fun. And similarly, on field sessions, we might we might bring out um, our sound system and have some music during the warm-up. It was something that I took from from the Seattle Seahawks and Washington Huskies in America. They have they have music on in every single warm-up. And the players kind of do a bit of a dance routine actually in their warm-up. It looks like a dance routine. It's a stretch routine that's uh, that's synchronised, I think, but. But we took that away and thought, you know what, why can't we have music in the warm-up? If it means that they've got more energy to deliver into the session, then then that's exactly what we're trying to get from it. And some people look at it and think, well, music's distracting, the boys aren't serious. But I think they've got to be able to learn to flick that switch as well and know when it's when it's time to work. And warm-ups can generally be fun. So I've waffled on a bit there, but that's generally the gist of, of what we do to try and keep them interested. No, that's really good, mate. Thanks for that. Um, just another thing. Obviously, with the um, with you guys being kind of early stages of your season, do you just want to talk to us a little bit about how your preseason went? And firstly, you kind of build up to the preseason with regards to your planning, and how that kind of plan was um, was fulfilled or not fulfilled during the during the preseason. Yeah, well, we had a we had a tricky off season this year. So off season, by by that I mean the period before the players return. Um, the, the RLPA, which is the Players Association over here, changed the rules two weeks after the, the grand final, that all the play or a week after the grand final, to say that all the players had to have a minimum eight weeks off. Um, I think they negotiated it down to, to seven, but it'll, it'll flick to eight next week. I'm pretty sure it's eight weeks in, in the AFL as well. And then they brought in new rules again, which were all new to us. You can only train for six weeks before Christmas. You must have two weeks off at Christmas. And, and then obviously it's it's four weeks before we go into the Auckland Nines and our and our trial games. But that threw a bit of a curveball at us. But as if that wasn't enough, at the Eels this off season, we uh, we moved into our new facility. Or say new, it's a temporary facility where our um, high performance centre will be built in two years or two to three years. And um, so so we had a completely new gym building to put in, and then we had to equip the the gym building as well. And anybody out there who's ever done that before knows that it never goes to plan. <laughs> so, um, I mean, we were right up until three days before the players came back. Uh, we were still putting equipment in. We had a shipment from Techno Gym who were brilliant, but from in Italy where the equipment was manufactured was delayed in customs in Singapore and all those little things that you never really hear about were uh, <laughs> seemed to happen to us in this off-season. So aside from the actual physical load planning, uh, we had a, an absolute multitude of mini disasters in our off season but we got there and the players turned up to an equipped gym on on day one of pre-season and uh and that was good so yeah we did we do six weeks uh pre-christmas as i say that's that's all we're allowed to do um we make sure that the players have got targets any certainly any 
any players from uh, from our current club who haven't come into us, any uh, current players, they'll get targets, and they'll get targets for their skin folds and their DEXA scan, and they'll get targets for their body weight, and they'll get an aerobic fitness target as well. And that'll be based on a 1.2K time trial, but also on a 30-15 uh, intermittent test. And that's because they've got previous experience doing that, and the boys have been with me now for two years. They know they know what they need exactly what sort of sessions and training they need to do to make sure they can hit those targets. They're fairly familiar with them. Um, for our senior players, then, if they turn up and they screen well, we'll give them an extra two weeks uh, or one to two weeks where they kind of get a big choice on what they do. Can you still hear me okay there, Ron? Yeah, it's good, mate. Yeah, it's all good. Check it. Um, so from there, then, every, our young lads certainly will, will start straight away and do the full six weeks. If not, I've done an extra two weeks where we make it kind of optional for them for some of the guys who really need to put some size on. And then really the first week for us is we get our DEXs done, we get our skin folds done, we do our aerobic and anaerobic testing, and, and we'll look at building. Uh, we've got a good strength coach here, Jared Wade, who we brought in this year, and we, we've built a really detailed uh, strength and power profile, um, which allows us to individualize our gym programs, both in pre-season and in the latter stages, and and in season. So we'll start to build that and look at it. Um, and, and really, we're also pretty careful in this pre-Christmas period of, of modifying the loads for some of the some of the guys who've got, I suppose, greater than five years, but we're tending to look at more eight, nine years NRL experience because those guys just tend to be carrying some things uh, and we need to be really careful of that. And then also throwing into the mix, we've got international players who, who will return later and the, the mixed bag of, of new recruits that you get. Um, Obviously, you've got to be really careful when you're bringing new players in. It's something I spoke about at the at the NRL High Performance Conference. Actually, I think I think we can in the NRL here anyway. We could probably do it a little bit a little bit better with regards loading. And one of those things is over here. I'm pretty sure the UK Super League, when I was there anyway, did, did this probably a bit better than we do over here in the NRL at the moment. In that players come to you and you get absolutely no data on them whatsoever or data is my. Australian phrase. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's soccer, terrible. football, data, data. <laughs> I get hammered for it. I'm in UK. <laughs> um, and, and so you get this new player turn up, for instance. We had, we had a player turn up this year who was our most important signing in a number of years. And, and you get no no information on them from, from GPS. And that's because some of the clubs, I think 14 of the clubs are with GP Sports and two of them are, are still with Catapult. And, and clubs just don't share data at all. Whereas I, I proposed what I was calling a GPS passport. And by that, the, the game day files, the DB3 files, are of no real relevance to a club once a player leaves. And um, there's no reason why you can't send them with a player to his new club. So I was trying to see if I could get the other clubs on board. I, I've left it with the NRL. I'm not sure where we're at, but I think even looking at it from a, from a player welfare point of view, Absolutely. that would allow you to immediately individualise and look at a percentage of his game day loads where where can you start with a player and what can he handle? They give you a real good insight into them early, whereas really we're going in blind with those new guys in that pre-Christmas period. And what we found at Parramatta and certainly they found at Melbourne Storm as well is that when those new players come in, because it's all about adaptations, they, they, they adapt to what they know. And then inevitably, every club does things a little bit differently. There's more than, more than one road to Rome and and what tends to happen is those players break down. It tends to be, almost always, unless they're incredibly good athletes, you're new guys to the club who just struggle. And it's because, you, you really, you're having to guess in that first six-week period or, or really 
steadily grade them in. I don't see why we can't just go to a GPS passport because we all have to sign players and we all have to send players to other clubs. So that's just something that's a, a bit of a bugbear of mine. I think we could probably do that a little bit better, but it's going to be reliant on all the clubs doing it. I think in the English Super League now, all the teams are with Statsports, which which is fantastic because they, they, they can immediately do that when they're transferring players. And it, it really gives all the heads of performance, heads of strength and conditioning at each club a little leg up. Uh, but you're all helping each other. You know, no one's getting a competitive advantage out of it because everybody has to sign players. Um, I mean, really in that, just to summarise, in that pre six weeks pre-Christmas, um, we're really splitting the group into three. We're looking at guys who need to put on size and, and really for this game, that, that that's almost everyone apart from some of, some of our big Pacific Island fellas. That's almost everyone in our group. In that six-week period, we want to build some rock-solid size and strength. Uh, we want to increase their max aerobic speed. Um, we want to decrease fat in, in almost all of them. We're trying to take down body composition a little bit and, and make them a little bit leaner. And we want to make sure, really importantly, that we're building strong habits and increasing the resilience um, from, an, from an injury prevention point of view. And we put a heap of work into that uh, based on our screening, based on our profiles. And for the players who've been with us for a while, based on, on, on a couple of years' worth of information, and when they operate best. Um, so that's really our pre-Christmas period summed up. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you, you, Go on, mate. Sorry, mate. Yeah, I interrupted then. Go on. No, no, that's fine. Uh, I was just going to say about, you, mean, you mentioned about working around kind of the five, eight-year NRL players, uh, NRL experience players. How, how, are you, how are you kind of manipulating your sessions to be able to deal with not just the kind of, the, the battered and bruised kind of go down to veteran type players, but those that pick up uh, acute injuries, how are you working around them injuries to kind of keep them hopefully as, as much in line with those that aren't injured uh, as possible? Yeah. So we're pretty big on that. I spent some time with Bill Knowles a number of years ago and he was just first class on this. And, and our focus is we, we want to know immediately what can they do? Um, Cause I think I'm married to a physio, so I can say this. <laughs> physios inevitably start off with he can't do this, he can't do this, he can't do this um, I think that's one thing I've really learned from, from being married to a physio in elite sport is we, we want, you've got to learn how we talk to them as, as performance and strength and conditioning staff it's important we know the physio perspective, the same as it's important we know the doctor's perspective the same as important we know that where the coaches are coming from, but one thing we look at straight away is what can they do um, we've got a skills coach here who does a fantastic job of it. He's really opened my eyes to it this year. A fellow by the name of Joe Grimer. And straight away, no matter what injury the player's got, he's got a skill drill that is safe, firstly, because that's important, and is relevant to um, to that player's position, no matter what the injury. Almost every injury so far, he's come up with something. And fellas like that are priceless. You've just got fantastic creative imaginations. And that's one thing I took from Bill Knowles. He, he, he kind of used to summarise what he does and... I was one of the coaches kind of watching on his videos of his gymnastic play rehab with his staff, uh, with his players. And I'm thinking, what a genius. How does he, how does he think of that? And me and my wife were lucky to spend a couple of days with him. And I posed the question to him, how do you think of that sort of stuff? It, it just looks so unbelievable. And he said, I'll make it up. I said, what? And he said, I'll make it up as I'm going along. I just have fun and play and make it up. And I thought, Wow. You know you're a true, true genius when you can admit to making things up on the job. Um, but he's right in that, in that with that injury stuff, and that, I suppose he's looking at late-stage injury um, rehab, he was just making things up that he knew 
was safe with it, with his coaching knowledge and his expertise. But he was just keeping them interested, like you say. It's the hardest group with rehab. So we make sure that we, we look at straight away what can they do. Uh, we're also pretty big on them training pitch side at the same time as the, the NRL team are, are training on field. Um, and that's for two reasons. That's because sometimes, uh, I think in all elite sport, you can get players who might have a, a, a little niggle that they could possibly train with or maybe they couldn't. So we like to let those players know that um, if you're not training, you're going to be working really, really hard at the side of the field. So we make sure that both for the players on field who are fully fit, they realise that team rehab, as we call it, works really, really hard. So, you know, they're always within eyeshot of them. Um, but also, it's to keep the players who are injured, they can see that goal right in front front of them constantly during rehab uh, or during, I call it rehab. It's not when they technically do their rehab. They'll do that at a separate time of day. But when they're doing the what we call alternate conditioning sessions, um, and really that could be a mixture of what bike sessions, boxing, uh, grinder, it can be battling ropes, it could be any of those different alternate type things. Um, and also, we'll try and integrate those players, let's say, who's got an ankle injury, but he's back to light running. We'll try and include him in any of the handling drills that are static. So we'll pull him out of the alternate group and throw him in. Even if it's for five or ten minutes, as long as it's not disturbing the session, it's really important that they see that. And also for players who may be out for one or two weeks, it's important, especially in ball-playing positions, that they can see new players. Obviously, the game is built on set plays in, in rugby league, so we need to make sure, and the coach will sometimes call them out of a block of alternate conditioning, and they'll go and stand with the coach and, and observe and watch live the new players that are running or a specific play we might be playing uh, planning for two three weeks into the future. And So we try and in, keep them integrated with the group as much as we possibly can. And also... With that rehab group, um, we always make it goal-based. So, so it's, it's criteria-based. So they can progress. You can progress when you can do this rather than you're going to be out for six weeks. We'll look at you again each week. We don't try not to do that. So we have a really good framework for how we manage those those injuries. Um, and, and really, it's ankle, knee, hip, all that, rather than lower limb, upper limb. Um, but, but yeah, we brainstorm it all the time as a staff. How can we get these players back quicker, safely? And so we'll, we'll give the players goals constantly. Uh, for instance, we had a player last year did his ACL in the Auckland Nine. So for anyone who doesn't know Australian Rugby League, that's the pre-season tournament just before the season kicks off. And uh, and, and he did his ACL, which meant he'd missed the whole season. Uh, that was just like, that was a disaster for him. Um, trying to keep a player motivated like that, who's pretty much just finished his pre-season, he's going to have to go the whole season and then he's going to be into a pre-season again. And that's really, really hard for him. He's 24, 25 years of age. So he wasn't like it wasn't like he was a novice. But luckily, in my career, I'd, I'd done two ACLs myself. And um, I did one in the last game of preseason. So so I knew exactly how he felt. And one of the things, um, Suki Hobson talks about this. She says every, every long-term rehab um, should be a journey. So they need to get something out of the journey. And they need to finish with lots of memories. Not just about doing mini squats off a box or... Lots of glute band work, but but like they need to learn something, come out of it. So we we had a brainstorm about it as a staff, and one of the weaknesses of this particular player was his his aerobic fitness had just been poor all his career. He was the type of player who just could not complete repeat efforts. And they said, look, he's tried and tried and tried, but probably never made enough sacrifice or never put enough effort into his aerobic conditioning. So we said, well, we've got a long time, like we've we've got nine months. Let's let's just do something completely away from rugby league. So we set him 
challenges and he had he had a, a goal for each each three week four week period and then he had a six month goal and he ended up running a marathon in the end which may sound wow. absolutely crazy <laughs> in a sport like rugby league but but we'd set him off and he he loved it he absolutely loved it and we'd report it back to the team then they'd say he'd say hey kenny's got the uh he's got the 10k he did the sydney harbour 10k and we got pictures of him on the 10k and we uh we sneakily got some photos of him running it when he didn't see us and we made a little collage for him and and, and presented it to him then, and uh, we put pictures up of his times. He ran it with his with his wife. Um, just little things like that kept him interested, and uh, and he actually he came back. He's playing now, and he he was interviewed last week, and he, he mentioned in the interview I'd completely forgotten we'd done it really because he's back playing now. He's fully fit, and he uh, they said to him, "How come you how come you're playing so well this year?" And he said, "Well, actually, last year I, I went through a journey in my rehab, and I just found that I got better." physically during that journey with something that was completely different to rugby league. And it made me think, God, it's really, forget how important that is to make sure that they're focused when they're not, when they're injured, that they've got something to focus their mind on because they're competitive animals. And if you give them enough things to compete for and strive for, they'll, they'll give you all their energy. But I suppose the key is just getting them to buy into it. And he was fantastic for it. That's cool. So you mentioned Suki there um, and also gymnastics, which kind of, Come together. Have you yeah. um have you experimented with some of the the gymnastic stuff that Suki's kind of um been a massive proponent of? Yeah, uh, again, like my wife being a physio, she she's probably a bit, bit better equipped than me on that sort of stuff. So so I've kind of tended to um plagiarise her work in that <laughs> regard. But again, yeah, a lot of it came for me really early before I met Suki. It was it was from Bill uh, and Bill Knowles, and um, I think it's fantastic. It's first class. I know Suki's got a uh, like a um, a running lane trumpet, if that's the right phrase, I'm not so sure. But she's got one of them in her facility at, at Milwaukee Books, and I just think it's it's first class. And again, it's it's another stimulus for them. It's um, it gives them all sorts of different movement challenges. And and when you're in that late stage rehab, or even even for prevention and um, and preparation, it's just something a little bit different. And and they're all like they're like big kids as well. Are they athletes? We, we sometimes forget that they're they're grown up children. Um, so, so they love that sort of stuff as well. Uh, I, I've experimented with it in the time I did rehab back in the day, but um, certainly I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a big admirer of it. I probably haven't got as much knowledge and expertise in that area as I should have, to be quite frank. Mm-hmm. So uh, just to kind of uh, change tact a little bit, uh, I just want to discuss nutrition because nutrition isn't, isn't really a, a thing that's, uh, that's come up a lot. Uh, in the podcast, obviously because of SNC coaches, sports scientists, but from my experience, being like a, a one-man band uh, as an SNC coach, you kind of immediately, because you're an SNC coach, you know anything about nutrition. So, do you, do you just want to give us a little bit of a, an insight into kind of your your, um, your role when it comes to nutrition and some maybe some of the things that you're doing with your guys or have your nutritionists do with your guys? Yeah, so. I'm a anyone who knows me will tell you I'm a bit passionate about this. I'm a bit obsessed with it, and really, I think for me, apart from the training stimulus, um, sleep and nutrition are the two most important things. And and we're both the players are in control of both of those. And um, I think certainly with sleep as well, we probably underestimated the amount of education they need. But but certainly with nutrition, I just cannot believe how much education um, athletes need these days. And I think it's because of some of the like ridiculous media, uh, things that get put out there these days that young athletes coming through just believe anything. Um, certainly when I started out, my first ever job was 
again, a bit of a sad story. I did my ACL the week before pre-season, and, uh, or the se- yeah, before pre-season started, and um, I thought at one point I was going to lose my job, but they made me into a rehab and nutrition coach. I'd been, I'd been learning, doing an awful lot away from the club, and they put me in as a nutrition coach. And the first thing I did was, because um, I'm a bit of a control freak, Rob, I tried to <laughs> take control of what they ate. So, so we, we just cooked breakfast for them. And uh, it'd be funny if anyone's listening to this who, who was part of that squad. But we, uh, they got three boiled eggs, a piece of wholemeal toast, and some baked beans. That was their breakfast. And believe me, that was a step up in the world for the majority <laughs> of these boys. So they, they, they just began to learn to fuel properly. And then every day at breakfast, I'd give like a little A4 piece of paper would be on, on there. And when they were sat bored, eating their breakfast, not talking to each other, it was before the days of mobile phones being constantly barraging us, they'd, uh, they'd just read a little bit of information. And it might be something about how important omega-3 fatty acids are, for instance, or it might be about probiotics for gut health. Or it'd be, But it'd be put into simple language for the boys. And, um, and I just got real good results from that. They started asking lots of questions and... I suppose that started me off on the, um, I'd always been obsessed with nutrition as a player, but it started me off on, on the obsession of how important it is for athletes and for elite performance. So um, from that, moving into, um, I went up to Doncaster Knights. I worked at Doncaster Knights for a few years and we were lucky there that um, we had the, the club on site. So so the kitchen there cooked uh, cooked lunch for us every day. So so I did it there and then went on to Hull FC. And um, again, we, had, we were lucky at Hull FC because of the facilities we had, we had a full-time chef. I say full-time, he was in every time the players were in. So so the players were getting breakfast, which had stepped up and they got a choice of different eggs then. And um, we were able to combine it with our supplement sponsor to make sure that we were getting the micronutrients and individualizing supplementation a little bit. Um, and we had lunch cooked for them every day. And again, I just think when you can do that, it's really important that you can you can drive it for the players and they understand it. It's easy at the elite level where I'm at now because it's it's almost expected, although there's still lots of teams out there not doing it at the absolute elite end. But certainly at Paro, we, we, we place a huge emphasis on nutrition. And from a philosophy point of view, I'm just a really big believer in, in whole foods and eating real food. And um, people think it's maybe oversimplified sometimes when, when I'll present this or, or when I'll talk to, go into some of our corporate sponsors and talk to them about nutrition. And they can't believe how simple it is. Essentially, what I'm telling them is what they already know: that Coca-Cola isn't really a good, isn't a good drink for you. And if you're drinking a lot of it, it's going to have it's going to have some negative effects on your body. And 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 that Powerade, really, and Gatorade and these sports drinks, they're just loaded with sugar. Originally, Gatorade was a um, was an electrolyte drink that tasted terrible. It tasted awful. And Coca-Cola bought out Gatorade and lumped in 35 grams of sugar, 40 <laughs> grams of sugar, and then it tastes great. And then kids are drinking it. And so so we we. Our philosophy at Paramatter, and I suppose it's my philosophy, well, it completely is really, is that we, we eat really low sugar. Um, we, we try to be carb sensible. And that doesn't mean that we're huge carb haters, because we're not. But but certainly, if you're fat, you're eating too much carbohydrate almost always in our experience. So we educate the players. I've got a full-time nutritionist now who's first class. And I've also got, um, we've got another nutritionist who works with the players' partners. Um, and again, that's because it's a whole wide approach and it took the players by surprise a little bit when we started talking about it initially, but we were basically saying there is no, in our opinion, in our sport, an elite rugby league player diet. The way you eat is the same as the way your children should eat, is the same as the way your wife should eat, in our opinion, for good health, because it's health first. That's our focus is to make you healthy, healthy young men and everything else will come from that. So, so our focus is on making sure we've got good gut health. 
So, so we have a, a real big emphasis on our pre and probiotics for our gut health because there's a lot of research out there now that um, disease comes from from the gut. I think you've you've got more nerve endings in your gut than you have in your brain. Uh, so that's why it's where it came from. That it's uh, think with your gut, go with your gut instinct. Um, so we've got a real big emphasis on gut health and quality of food. So we we put. A real, um, a real emphasis on making sure that we find the best suppliers. So we have a grass-fed organic meat supplier. Um, we have a really good dairy supplier. Um, and we have a really good fruit supplier at Sydney Markets. And whatever the players eat when they're with us is an example of what they should eat at home. So we try to lead by example there. And like I say, we've got a full-time nutritionist who who is a little bit different again. So uh, he's actually a, a dietitian rather than a nutritionist. So give him his, his official title. But what he, he does is he'll go out to the players' houses and spend time with them, with their families. He'll show them how to cook. He'll look at what sort of environment they're cooking in rather than saying, here's a diet plan, go away and follow that, which may or may not work. In my experience, it only works with the most disciplined of athletes, the ultra-disciplined guys. And I've had some of those in the past, and it's worked great. But I think a little bit more, being a bit more open-minded on the nutrition side and, and going out and educating the partners and educating um, the players on, you know, here's how you can cook in your kitchen with what you've got in your cupboards, here's something you could make. And with some of our younger guys who live together, we're lucky with some of the facilities we've got. Quite a few of our young players live in the same block of apartments that are owned by the club. So they'll have nights where one family will cook and they'll come down and eat together. And he might take that family shopping and say, look, here's where you can get. Because they're all looking for quality, but as well as at the right budget. Everybody's budget restricted, apart from maybe some of the top, top players. But generally, most players... and. We're looking at the younger lads a lot of the time here with education. We can take them shopping and show them how they can eat on a budget, but eat really, really good food that's going to help them be healthier and perform better. So we try to be really wide-ranging, but certainly when we travel, um, we make sure that the food is the very, very best quality. And the players have found, especially in my first year at Parramatta, and uh, they, they couldn't believe that it was a very big change. So we, we pushed away things like a lot of processed foods. We, they were eating a hell of a lot of bread and we're not bread haters, but we tried to really limit that. It didn't work really well for, for a lot of them. And they found that they couldn't believe that when we ate, it was a little bit higher in really good fats. It was a, a bit lower in a fairly, fairly large amount lower in, um, in processed sugars and carbohydrate. Uh, and we obviously upped the protein, but up the quality of the protein, most importantly. And the players really couldn't believe how tasty it was. That was the first thing that struck them. They said, can't believe how good it tastes to eat well. Because um, I think ten, generally they'd been pushed down the track, just in this experience, they'd been pushed down the track of sucking out all the fat of food and eating really low fat, and it probably didn't taste that good. Um, so so they've, been, they've been really easily bought. They've bought into it really easily because they've been, they found that it tastes really good. Um, so that's been, a, that's been a big buy for us. Um, but they've been great. They, they've bought into it. It's, it's certainly nothing revolutionary. Like I say, it's it's pretty simple. And we say to the players quite often, especially to our juniors, I think if you put your hand on your heart, unless you're really dumb, most players, most athletes know whether a food is healthy or not. I know there's a lot of tricks. There's a lot of tricks out there with, with marketing. And, and certainly we try to highlight those to the players. But hand on heart, I think most people and most players, they know if it's a healthy option or not. And then I suppose on the other side of the scale, we, we tell them there's an 80-20 rule. If you're really good 80% of the time, 20% of the time, let go. Let go. To eat, what, eat If you really need something, our nutritionist said to them in the first presentation, and I thought, God, that's gold. She said to them, 
if you're looking at a chocolate bar and you've got to eat it and you've absolutely got to eat it and you feel like, God, I really want it. I really, really need it. Go and eat it. Eat it, but make sure you enjoyed it. And then, you know what? Move on. <laughs> because the world won't end if you eat a chocolate bar. <laughs> Just eat it, move on. But it's important you know how to move on. Um, so I think making sure that, yeah, we try to keep, I suppose, a holistic approach to it, Rob, but make sure that, that they know that it's not the end of the world if you have if you have a bad meal or if you have a bad day where you don't eat well due to circumstance or whatever it is. But through education and through discipline, let's get back on the horse and eat right at the next available opportunity and kick on from there. Um, so yeah, we're we're pretty pretty passionate. I could talk all day about nutrition, but <laughs> I won't bore you. Well, I'm I'm just conscious of time, mate, and I'm I'm guessing that you, your wife and your kids are probably looking out the front window, thinking, "What's Dad still doing in the car?" <laughs> um, <laughs> so no, I don't uh, <laughs> if I wait long enough, they'll be in bed. Or <laughs> but I mean, there's so many things that I, I kind of want to touch touch on with you. But there's um, we could potentially do a part two here. There's so much to talk about. Um, but where can uh, where can people keep in touch with what you've got going on? Are you you pretty active on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram? Oh uh, yeah, I like. I'm more than happy for anyone to email me. Yeah. Uh, paul.devlin at paraheels.com.au or yeah, I'm fairly active on Twitter. I'm not. I'm not all that opinionated. I must admit. Okay. But, yeah. Uh, I try not. I try not to be. But I certainly I follow a, a whole heap of people who are a hell of a lot smarter than me and. I get I get loads out of it. My my uh, Twitter's Paul Devs. I'm I'm pretty sure. Um, so I think Twitter's fantastic. And like I say, I, I listen to your podcast all the time. I think I told you that before, mate. I think it's I think it's first class. And there's been some there's been some really really smart people um, who have been had the benefit to listen to on my car drive to work each day. And uh, I really appreciate all your work. No, thanks, mate. I'll uh, I'll drop you the fiver when you're back in the UK. <laughs> <laughs> so who who are the who are the kind of people that you follow on Twitter and follow on um, you know blogs and websites and things like that? Well, obviously, I think Kelvin Giles is an absolute staple mm-hmm. for me. Um, and, and then Ian McKeown, I'm a massive fan of Ian McKeown. Uh, I think he's he's brilliant. And Suki Hobson as well. I've I've met Suki in Melbourne when I was down there and spent a good bit of time with her and got to know her as a friend. She's an incredibly smart um, young lady as well. But then there's a there's quite a few um, there's quite a few guys in America. Like I, I was following an awful lot of, of Eric Cressy's work, um, and then uh, uh, there's some good guys in Australia here. Man. I forget the names of them now. I'm put on the on the spot. I always find Darren Burgess's presentations to be to just be so sensible. I, I just think oh, like, he's just so sensible and and smart when he presents. But then. Um, one of the guys is head of strength at Melbourne Storm, Dan DePasca. I get, I get an absolute mountain of information and, and knowledge from that guy. Mate, he is just, he is just absolutely first class. But, but he, he hides under a stone somewhere. He, he's, uh, <laughs> he's not a big social media guy, but he's one of the smartest guys I've ever ever worked with. And um, yeah, he's he's great. I, I think for me, I find just, I really like to call people up and brainstorm about stuff. I'm a bit of a performance nerd so um i have all these different people who i speak to i spoke to john noonan a couple of weeks ago he's got some great experiences as well and um there's just different we're all nerds really i think aren't we chasing <laughs> chasing the dream of perfect athletic development yeah. so I ideas off everybody that's why i find your podcast so good because i can listen to people just just talking about their ideas i think it's fantastic no that's cool mate well um like i say i'm i don't want to take too much of your time but um 
we'll we'll keep in touch and we'll um we'll nail a part two and we can uh when I can get you pinned down. Yeah, no problem, mate. It's good to speak to an English voice. Like likewise, mate, likewise. And right, uh we'll, we'll keep in touch. Cheers, mate. Thanks, Rob. See you, mate. See you, pal. Bye bye. Thanks for tuning in to episode 80 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the chat with Paul. So like I said at the start, if any of you do have any feedback or, or you know, ideas for up-and-coming guests, please fire them my way. Um, direct message on Twitter, email, uh, whatever it may be, just fire, fire them over. Just before I let you go, I just want to say a massive thanks to the sponsors today, to Train With Push and Val Performance, makers of the Nordboard. So thanks a lot for, for tuning in uh, and I will speak to you soon.